We are now in part four of our series, Faith in Action, uh, in the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 is our text. Uh, in the first three parts of this series, our focus has been on trials. In part 1, verses 1 through 4, James opens his letter, first by focusing on trials and how trials, if handled in the right manner, uh, can benefit us, and it rises us to maturity. And what it does, it develops us. And then in part 2, verses 5 through 8, James, what he does, he explains the means given for our actions and trials. And what's the means? The means is, is wisdom. Uh, then last week in part 3, verses 9 through 12, we learned that trials are the great equalizer bringing all of God's children, whether rich or poor, to dependence on Him. In other words, to keep eternity in sight as we go through trials. This now brings us to today's text. And here what James does, he changes the focus from trials to temptations, and he gives us some important insights and truths about temptations. The text deals with a challenge, and that challenge is temptation that each of us face daily or at various times throughout our lives. And temptation comes in many forms in a wide range of degrees of intensity. And some of us are more susceptible uh, uh, to uh, this challenge than others, and, but nonetheless, we, we're all faced to deal with this thing called temptation. I want to say this, while we all face temptation, we do not have to give in to it and reap the consequences that it brings. Another thing I want to say is facing temptation is not a sin. It becomes sin when we give in to it. Now, it's through understanding the nature of temptation that helps us see the root of our problem with sin. And James, what he does, he helps us by giving us that understanding. The title of my message today is Temptation. Uh, and, and by the way, temptation is the first tactic used of Satan in the Garden of Eden as he tempted Eve uh, to question the authority and also the accuracy of God's Word. And he tempted her to look at life through eyes of flesh rather than through eyes of obedience to God. And we all know the story. Uh, Eve submitted to temptation, as uh, did Adam, which uh, was the beginning of the fall of humanity. I want to share five points with you from our text today. The first one, number one, is the clarification. I want to say it again, the, the clarification. And we're going to look at verse 13a uh, from the text. And James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And so here, what James does, he establishes something right off the bat. He makes it very clear that God is not the source of temptation and that our temptation is never of God. Now, God does sin and God does allow trials in our lives to test us, but he never tempts us to sin. Uh, someone said this, God may test you to strengthen your faith, but he never tempts you to subvert your faith. There's a lesson here. The lesson is this, don't blame God or others for the temptation. Uh, Americans are known for two things, the passing of the buffalo and also the passing of the buck. And uh, we are pros at blaming God and others and, because it's just, it's just our nature and we don't like to take personal responsibility for our actions, uh, for our sin. And so the easiest thing to do is to blame God and to blame others. And what comes to mind is, is Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, you know the story. They ate from the forbidden tree. Then God confronts them and tells Adam, as it says there in Genesis 3, did I not command you to not eat from that tree? And Adam took it like a man and he blamed Eve. And it <laughs> says, the woman you have put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then God, then God confronted Eve, and she blamed the serpent, the devil. And it says that the serpent deceived me. She says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. In other words, the devil made me do it. And we got to understand that the devil 
uh, can't make us do anything. It's our choice. We have the choice uh, whether to give in to temptation or, or not. So that's the clarification. Point number two is the certainty. The certainty. And, and what James does next is he reveals an absolute uh, certainty regarding God. So I want to give you the two sub-points there. The first one is God's, God's character. God's character. Look at verse 13b with me. Uh, for, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And so, so we know that temptation is a solicitation to sin and that, that God is the very essence of holiness, uh, absolute righteousness, and there is no measure of sin or, or iniquity in, in God. By nature, God is a holy God. And I want you to write this down, 1 John 1.5. 1 John 1.5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13a says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Now, now listen, God, God is holy, and God is pure, and there's no hint of evil in him. Therefore, he can never tempt us uh, to commit any form of evil. Uh, to do so, uh, that would be out of God's character. Uh, his very nature would not allow uh, temptation. Now, now I, I believe that some of you might be thinking, um, uh, wasn't Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 tempted by Satan uh, Satan in, in the wilderness and, and the fact that it says that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? And, and that's true. That's true. But it was his, his humanity that faced temptation, not his deity. His deity could not be tempted. So we see God's character there. And the second subpoint is God's consistency. God's consistency. And uh, let's look at verse 13c. Nor does he tempt anyone. Uh, so God has never tempted anyone to behave contrary to his divine nature or to indulge in sin. Now, he may allow us to face temptations, but he will never tempt us to sin. And I want to say this. He's too holy to be tempted, and he's, he's too loving to tempt us. Um, but what about, you know, what he says in the Lord's Prayer that you're familiar with, that Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 13a, where it says, And lead us not into temptation. Well, that means it means we are asking God to guide us and, and to keep us on the right path so that we will not get involved in situations that will tempt us, uh, asking for his help in avoiding, uh, uh, in avoiding situations that would cause us to sin. It's simply praying this, and do not let us yield to temptation. Uh, it's similar to, to David's petition in Psalm, write this down, Psalm 141.4, um, where it says, let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, uh, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Uh, let me not eat of their delicacies. Uh, also in Psalm 19, right there on Psalm 19, verse 13, it says, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not overrule me. So when you're faced with a temptation, uh, look for a way out and don't put yourself in situations to sin. And by the way, there is a way out. And God has promised a means of escape when temptations come our way. In fact, write this down, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and he, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he says, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, so get this, God, God will not force you to the door of escape, but he will always be there for you. 
so the clarification, the, the certainty, and number three is the cause. The cause. Write that down. And look at verse 14, verse 14a with me. But it says, but each one is but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. Uh, so, so the Bible is very clear. If you study the Word of God, the Bible is very clear that we have three enemies. Uh, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And the flesh refers to the fallen nature that we're born with. And I would say that it's, it's our greatest enemy because, because it's something that we battle with on a daily basis. And, and often we give the devil more credit than he deserves. Now, if we're saved, we, we have a new nature, and we know that, right? Well, guess what? The old nature still hangs around. It's always there. And so praise God that we're saved, but there has to be a daily discipline of putting off, putting off the old self, the old nature. And I want to give you some scriptures here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's, there's a putting off of the old self and putting on the new. You put off to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. Galatians 5 verses 16 through 17 says this, So I say walk, or in other words live by the Spirit, and you will not, you will not, as you walk and live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And it says this, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary, contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. Got to get that. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Romans 7, verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul writes this, I know that Nothing, this is what he says, nothing good dwells or lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin, sin living in me that does it. So what Paul does, Paul, Paul finally comes to realize the total corruption of his sinful nature, that nothing, he says, nothing good dwells in the flesh. So he's well aware of the daily struggle within him. It, it's that old nature, that old nature always wanting to do wrong, and the new nature always wanting to do right. That There's a constant battle between those two natures. Now, I want you to follow me here. On a, on a daily basis, we... Uh, uh, as believers deal with, with the presence, we deal with the presence of two natures. Now, now listen, and I want you to get this. Salvation doesn't mean that God changes or cleanses or reforms the old nature. And you need to understand that our old nature is just as wicked and opposed to God today as the day that we were saved. So, so, so salvation means that God gives us a new nature, and what he does, he crucifies the old nature and as Christians, we still have the ability to sin, but now that we're saved, we should, listen now, we should bring into our lives an appetite, I love that, an appetite for holiness, but we must daily, we must daily be aware the, uh, that the dynamic for sin is still in our lives. It's still there. 
Um, so I hope that we're getting the picture here. Okay, we're redeemed, but the old nature still hangs around. It, it's still there. It still hangs around, and it wants to be fulfilled and fulfilled now. And, and the flesh will do whatever. The old nature will do whatever it can to gratify itself. So, so we as believers, we need to crucify the old nature, and we need to cultivate the new nature on a daily basis. And we do that by being prayed up and by being in the Word of God. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. The problem starts with me. That's the lesson. The problem starts with me. Sin starts when I get myself carried away by my own lusts, my own evil desires. And the first step of learning to deal correctly with my sins is coming to recognize that, that I can't blame anyone else but myself. I'm to blame. It's, it's my fault. And therefore, I need to take personal responsibility for my own actions and for my, my sin. So you have the clarification, the certainty, the course, uh, excuse me, the cause, and number four, number four is the course. Number four is the course. Now, 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 now get this, okay? If we, fail, if we fail to crucify the old nature, then temptation begins to take its course. And what James does, James lays it all out for us here. Now, now, now listen, sin uh, doesn't just happen. Okay? It doesn't just happen. It, it's a process, and it starts somewhere, and it has this, this what we call this domino effect, okay? And there, there's a down, downward, excuse me, a downward pro, uh, progression of temptation, and this is exactly what James is trying to describe here in the text. And he does it by showing us four stages that are involved. Uh, first of all, fill in the blank. Here we go. To the, the, the first sub-point is it originates with desire, it originates with desire. So let's go back to verse 14a. And it says, as James writes, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So, so that's where it all begins. It all begins there. It literally has the idea of that which pertains to the soul, which moves the body toward the desire. In other words, to long for, to covet, to desire. So we need to understand that our, our behaviors of the flesh originates, in other words, it starts within the mind. And we simply act on that which comes from within. The desire or the lust, whatever it might be, what it does, it draws us toward sin. Now, now we know that, that most desires are okay. For example, eating, uh, drinking, uh, sleeping, and sex. Those desires are, are, are given by God, and, and they're normal, natural desires to be fulfilled, but intended to be fulfilled in the way that God intended them to be fulfilled. And you see, the problem is when we seek to fulfill them outside of God's intended purpose. For example, hunger is a natural human desire, okay, but gluttony is a sin. Uh, um, sleep is a natural human desire, but laziness is a sin. Sex um, is a natural human desire, but to fulfill that desire uh, outside of a commitment of heterosexual marriage is sin. And any desire out of control out of God's intended purpose, becomes destructive. And what Satan loves to do is take those desires and turn them into what we call runaway desires, where you become consumed and obsessed with them. So, so if we're saved, we got to keep our desires under control. These desires need to be our servants, not our masters. So, so it always starts with the desires. So it originates with the desire, the next thing, the next stage is this. It manipulates through deception. It manipulates through deception. 
Look at verse 14b. He is dragged, keyword there, away and enticed. Enticed is the keyword there as well. Now, now James uses some, some different terms here. He uses hunting and, and fishing metaphors, and, and the words there, uh, the word there, the words drag away is, is a hunter's term, and it means snared in a trap. So the picture there is that of an, an animal being lured into a trap or dragged into danger by the scent of, of, of food. So it moves the animal outside the realm of protection, outside the realm of safety into the hunter's trap because of his own desires dragging him into danger. The, the word there enticed in the text is a fisherman's term, which means lured by bait. The original Greek, uh, in the original Greek, it means to bait a hook, to bait a hook. So, so, so question here, what is the secret to catching fish? Well, it's bait. It's bait. It's, it's in the bait. You use the right bait uh, for, for the right fish. So, so, so question, what kind of bait does, does Satan, the devil, use on you? And think about that. Because he knows your weaknesses. He knows what buttons to push in your life. He knows what, uh, what you will fall for. And what he does, he sets the trap with appealing bait. And he puts that bait right on his hook and lures you in. And you don't see the hook, you just see the bait. And bait always has the idea to hide something. And so, so if you were to go fishing, I mean, do you just throw out a hook? No, you don't, okay? It's, you know, it's, I mean, is the fish going to swim along and say that silver, hook looks, that silver hook looks good or delicious? No, it's not going to say that, okay? So, so you use bait because the bait hides the hook, and the bait that lures them uh, to the fish, they're deceived by, 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 by the bait. So, so Warren Worsby says this, no temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, while Satan will make you fishers of sin. And he has a tackle box, and, uh, tackle box excuse me, full of all kinds of allurements. Satan comes along, and what he does, he dangles the bait in front of us, and we see the bait, and we don't see the consequences of sin. And so his objective is to deceive us by hiding the trap, by hiding the hook, to draw us away from the path of God and from the way of protection. So it originates with uh, desire, it manipulates through deception, and then it contaminates through disobedience. It contaminates through disobedience. And look at verse 15a. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Think about that. After desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. Now notice the course and notice the progression here. From desire, got, got to get this, from desire, that's the emotions. From desire, the emotions. To deception, the intellect. To deception, the intellect. And to disobedience, the will. I'm going to say it again. From desire, the emotions. To deception, the intellect. To disobedience, the will. So, so James goes, and notice that, he goes from hunting and, and fishing metaphor to childbirth metaphor. And just like a woman gives birth to a child, so lust uh, gives birth to sin. And sin is now in its embryotic form. And so the will approves and then acts on it, and the result is sin. And when lust is conceived in the womb uh, of desire, it results in sin. So I want you to follow me here. What you think is what you feel, and what you feel is what you act. 
And you see, it's, it's, it's attention, got to get this, it's attention, it's attitude, and then it's action. And we are hooked and trapped and sin is conceived, and that's Saint, Satan's objective in temptation. Now listen, now listen. Whatever gets your attention will get you. And whatever you flirt with, you will fall for. Disobedience leads to sin. And anytime you start to entertain that thought, that thought, you're crossing the line of disobedience because what starts in your mind comes out in your life and it gives birth to sin. So it originates with desire. It manipulates through deception. It contaminates through disobedience. In the fourth stage, it culminates in death. It culminates in death. And look at verse 15b with me. And sin, listen to what it says, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And read that again. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now listen, when our desires get out of control, then we become deceived, and that leads to disobedience. That in itself results in death, in death. Now, we all know that the birth of a child is one of the most joyous occasions in the life of a family. We know that, right? We know that, okay? But when sin, I'm talking about sin here, when sin is conceived and when it's full ground, grown, excuse me, the delivery is horrid. And rather than celebration, there's mourning. Rather than the birth of something wonderful and, and lively, it's dreadful and lifeless. So, so, so giving into temptation causes devastation causes devastating results. Now, 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 I want you to listen, okay? You have the freedom, as we all do, we all have the freedom to make our own choices, but we are not free from the consequences of those choices. Now, I want to remind us, and we need to remember that James is writing to believers here, not non-believers, to believers. We know that, right? So, so, so how does death through sin apply to believers? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Romans uh, 8, 1 Say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does say that, right? So, so if we're saved, then that means that we won't suffer eternal death or eternal separation from God, right? Okay, so, so, so then what does the text mean for Christians when it says, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death? Well, it could refer to two things, and I want you to follow me here. It could refer to death in regard to our fellowship with God, okay? To death in regard to our fellowship, keyword fellowship, with God. Not our sonship, not our sonship, but our fellowship, okay? And what it does, it will create separation between us and our communion with God, okay? Not our union, but our communion with God. So it could refer to that, to the death in regard to our fellowship with God. The second thing it could refer to is physical death. Physical death. The Bible, both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, shows us how sin brings physical death to the one who belongs to God. Not spiritual death, but physical death. And, and the Bible, if, if you study and read the Bible, the Bible is very clear that even Christians are punished with physical death because of willful sin. Okay, They're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not accidental, but divinely intentional. And I want to prove it to you. In Leviticus, write it down, Leviticus chapter 10 Verses 1 through uh, and, and 2, God struck down uh, Nadab and Abihu for sinning against when they offered him profane uh, fire. In Acts chapter 5, verse 10, right, God struck down Ananias and Sapphira for lying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, some Christians died who were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy 
manner. Okay? And John, John warns the believers in 1 John 5.16 that there is sin, there is a sin unto death. And it means that God will take them home rather than allow them to be a reproach to him and to the church. Now, now God, God may not take us out like these individuals, but when we give in to temptation, uh, we are out of fellowship with him. And to be out of fellowship with him is a form of living death. Okay? Got it? Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Okay? What that really means is to wonder. Write that down, to wonder. Okay? So, so James, what he's simply saying is this. Do not wonder, my brother. In other words, do not let the temptation make you wonder from God's path. Okay, so do not be deceived, my brothers. In other words, do not wonder, my brothers. And don't let the temptation make you wonder from God's path. Point number one, the clarification. Number two, the certainty. Number three, the cause. Number four, the course. Uh, number five is the contrast. The contrast. And what James does, and I love this, James now shifts gears and moves from evil to good. Evil to good. And he, he contrasts the way of Satan with the way of God's goodness. And I love that, God's goodness. Look at 17, verse 17a. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I'm going to read that again, okay? Every good and perfect gift is from above. I want to say this. One, one of Satan's greatest tricks is to tell you and try to get you to believe that God doesn't love you and that he doesn't give you good things. Well, we know that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And you see, the good news of God is that he is good and that all my needs and all your needs can be met in him and him alone. Now, now when we focus on God's goodness, we'll be less attracted to Satan's offers. I'm going to say it again, okay? When we focus on God's goodness, we'll be less attracted to, Satan, to, to uh, Satan's offers. And what James, what he's simply saying here is God's gifts are better than Satan's bargains. Okay, God's gifts are better than Satan's bargains. Now, I want to point something out here. The word good there in the text means good of intrinsic value. In other words, God's gifts to us are good because they come from his character, not from our performance. And I got to tell you, if you're saved, you got to say amen to that, okay? Again, okay, it comes from his character, not from our performance. Look at verse 17b. Coming down, coming down. I want to stop there because that's, that's a present participle. Uh, in other words, it keeps on coming down. Uh, he doesn't give occasionally. He gives constantly. So coming down, then let's read on, from the Father of the heavenly lights. Heavenly lights, that speaks of his creative power, of his invincible nature. And what James does here in the text, he reminds us that it was God who by the word of his mouth created everything. Okay? Now, now, now stay with me here. If, if he is God and good enough to create all that exists, and he is, then he is God and good enough to provide what we need. So let's, let's read on the text who does not change like shifting shadows. I love that. I love that. Now, now if you're saved, okay, when we're saved, we ought to say amen to that because his goodness, his love never changes. He's immutable. That word immutable is, just means he's unchangeable. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6a says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8, 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So since he doesn't change, okay, we should never question his love nor doubt his goodness when temptations come our way. In fact, in fact, God's goodness is a great barrier. And I gotta get this, God's goodness, goodness is a great barrier against yielding to temptation. Verse 18a. He chose to give us birth. Now I love this because what this does is affirms God's goodness as seen in our salvation. Okay? We didn't earn it. We know that, right? We don't deserve it. Okay, he gave us spiritual birth because of his own grace and will. So he chose us. He chose to give us birth, let's read on, through the word of truth. Means ever since God planned our salvation, okay, okay, he has used the truth of scripture, the word, to bring us into his kingdom. Verse 18b, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The first fruits of the Old Testament, okay, were set apart to God and belonged to him. They were entirely his possession. So it is with us who are saved, okay? We are no longer our own. We were bought with a price, set apart, and consecrated to God. That, that's awesome. I love that. The, the New Living Translation says it like this, And we, out of all creation, became his choice possession. Warren Wiersbe says this, Of all the creation God has in the universe, Christians are the, are the very highest and the finest. I love that. So what I want to do at the remainder of, of this message is I want to give you some practical things that, that will help you, uh, help you guard yourself from falling into the trap of temptation. So I want you to follow me here. First of all, first one is this, is pray. Pray. And that's the first thing we need to pray. Now let's go back to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, 13a, and it says, and lead us not into temptation. And we clarified that it means, and do not let us yield to temptation. So we should pray daily. First thing we got to do is pray to God that I will not get involved in situations that will tempt me. Pray to God, pray to Him, pray for His help in avoiding situations that would cause me to sin. So we must, first of all, pray. Next is this, know the Word. Know the Word. It's important that you and I as believers know the Word. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he defeated Satan's attacks with the power of God's Word. And then three times, if you know that, that story, that text there, three times, Jesus told Satan, it is written. And after the third time, it says that, that Satan fled Jesus. So, so we must be in the Word on a daily basis. I, I said this many times, sin will keep you from the Word, but it's a Word that will keep you from sin. So we must be in the Word. So pray, know the Word of God. And the next thing is this, write this down, know myself, know myself. Know what places and what things uh, that, that, uh, that I, that you are vulnerable to. Recognize your weaknesses, okay? Know what tempts you. And when you know what tempts you, uh, stay away from that. Stay away from that. Set some, set some barriers, some boundaries. So pray, know the Word of God, know myself. And I love this one. Create an accountability network. Create an accountability network. In other words, have someone ask you occasionally how you're doing in this area. Okay, Make a promise to them that you will not lie to them when asked about how are you doing. So, so accountability is huge. It's very and extremely important. So Create an accountability network. The next one is this. Don't follow the crowd. 
Don't follow the crowd. And the common reason you could easily fall into, into temptation is the reason, is, re, is the reasoning, excuse me, the reasoning, everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. Well, it's not okay. And by letting the crowd establish your values, you become like the crowd. And, and we need to resist the crowd. We need to re resist peer pressure and be different. As believers, we need to be different. And if we're saved, okay, if we're saved, don't follow the crowd, follow Christ. So, so don't follow the crowd. Next one is this, and I love this, is, is run. Run. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, and, and, and also chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, 6, 18 says, flee from sexual immorality, and chapter 10, verse 14 says, flee from idolatry. So you, you flee from it, you don't flirt with it. Okay, now, now get this. When, when you run from temptation, you're headed toward God. And as soon as you know something's wrong, okay, don't, don't crawl away from it. Run, run from it. You run from it. And, and as, as you've heard this many times, don't leave a forwarding address. You, you leave. Okay. Now, now, we all know the story of Joseph in Genesis uh, chapter 39, verse 12. And Potiphar's wife was, wanted to take him to bed. And, and there what Joseph did is he, is he ran. He ran. Okay. Uh, and he left his cloak. So we need to run. We need to run. Uh, and, and I also want to remind you and remember that, that God has promised to make a way to escape temptation. And we, we established that back in 1 Corinthians. I gave to you 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So let's go pray. Know the Word of God. Know myself. Create an accountability network. Don't follow the crowd. Run. And, and, and I love this one. I love this one. Have a predetermined commitment to follow Jesus. Have a predetermined commitment to follow Jesus. You have to decide this before your day starts. This is important. And you do this as you spend quiet time uh, in the Word and in prayer. And what you're doing, you're guarding yourself. You're guarding yourself. And you see, when tempted, you, you, and I, I want to say this and, and make sure you understand this, when tempted, you don't want your feelings and you don't want your emotions to have the upper hand. And so you need to keep your love for Jesus fresh in your hearts. Write this down, Romans 13, 14. I love this, Romans 13, 14. And Paul, and Paul writes this, rather, he says, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Urin Erwin Lutzer said this, Our response to temptation is an accurate barometer of our love for God. I'm going to say it again. Our response to temptation is an accurate barometer of our love for God. So, so we're saved. We need to remember how much Jesus loves us by remembering the cross when we're tempted, and then return that love by resisting the, the temptation before us. So we need to remember our love for God, but above all, His love for us. And lastly is this, is keep before me the consequence of falling into temptation. Keep before me the consequence of falling into temptation. We, we always got to keep fresh in our minds the devastating results of falling into temptation. Going back to verse 15b, 
And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we always got to keep fresh in our minds the effect that it will have on our fellowship with Jesus and also the hurt that it will cause our family and also the effect it will have on our personal testimony. So as I come to a close and wrap this up, I want to say this. Two people live in our hearts, the old nature and Jesus. And so when temptation knocks at the door of our hearts, somebody has to answer it. And if we let the old nature answer it, we sin. If we let Jesus answer it, we always win. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love for us and towards us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a way out, a way to fight temptation. We thank you for all that we've learned today. We may take this to heart, appropriate into our lives, and be doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that daily we would be with you to guard ourselves as we face temptation on a daily basis. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.